you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the Q4 roadmap for your money, where stocks are likely to go from here and why our investment committee debating that today. And joining me for the hour are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, John Najarian, Jenny Harrington, the CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Let's begin where we always do, a look at stocks. They are pacing for their worst month since March. However, nice gains today, 450 plus that for the Dow, one and two-thirds percent. The S&P 500, 33.80, that's 45 points, one and a third percent. NASDAQ, one and a half percent in its own right, and the small caps doing quite well today as well. I should also let you know we are waiting for the Palantir debut at the New York Stock Exchange, that direct listing, and we expect that debut to happen any moment now, and we'll show you that when that begins trading. Steve Weiss, I begin with you because you've got positive news today on virus, therapeutics, some of the economic data was good as well. You've made some very interesting moves. You have bought back Ford, you have bought back Peloton, and you have bought back Corvo, and I want to know why. I also bought back some of the clean energy plays. Here's why. Um, I perhaps got too negative last week when I started to take down exposure. And as I thought about what's transpiring this week, and particularly focused on the debate, looked at the latest results from the polls, it seemed to me that the market has been digesting, given Biden's movement in the polls, consistently having a spread of 79% above Trump, even in a lot of the swing states. So I thought that the debate was Biden's to lose, and knowing where Trump was going to come from, he was well prepared. And I think that's what we got. Uh, I did not count on the risk to my negative uh, scenario was also stimulus. Uh, and I did not count on the positive news on stimulus that we got overnight and this morning, which reversed the futures. So look, so the, the other factor was that the government had come out and said, hey, we're potentially going to blacklist SMIC, the largest chip manufacturer in China, then backed away from that. So that was sort of a doomsday scenario for technology. So I bought Corvo back. The stock had corrected. Peloton had corrected back down lower. It was down five points early in the week. I bought it. Momentum continues. I keep track of what their wait times are on the treadmills. Now it's out and through, you know, through another two months. And forget about the bike. You can't get the new bikes. So it's positive on the fundamentals there. In terms of the clean energy plays, those stocks have been moving very, very well. Uh, I've gone back into them, as I mentioned. The reason being is that it's not only the U.S. that's after clean energy. It's also the rest of the world. And when you take a look at, at uh, managers, active managers, that need energy exposure because they basically try to mirror the index. Right. You can get it out of clean energy. It doesn't have to be fossil fuel. So it's all fundamental reasoning that I did it. But now I think after last night's debate uh, that it's clear sailing through the election with some volatility. Okay. So, Joe, you've, you've sold the VXX. 
John, you've been shorting November volatility. That says to me the trades may be different, but the narrative that you're trying to express is exactly the same, that you expect less volatility, Doc, than maybe some had been predicting. Maybe you thought that was a little bit overdone? Yes, exactly, Scott. Um, And I've uh, tried to bring that across here as well, that uh, we thought that uh, November and December vol was too high um, given the, the things that we do know. Now, there's always things we don't know, so I'm not pretending to know everything, of course. But I'm just saying selling that higher vol, Scott, and being long further out in time, whether that's through a diagonal spread or a calendar spread, I think both of those work, and they have been working because the vol has been coming down in those. Now, I'm not saying it's flattened out uh, at all, but I am saying that it is still elevated and that there are a lot of technicians that I respect as well that are talking about this same sort of trade right now. In other words, I don't think that it'll take all the way till January before we have uh, a definitive uh, candidate that has won in this election, whichever way that goes. And I think thus the volatility has been exaggerated in that November, December time frame. Those are the ones that I'm short, long the further outs in a diagonal spread or, again, as we call it, a calendar spread or a time spread, Judge. Yeah. Joe, again, um, you're expressing sort of the same view. Um, you feel better about the market, it, it feels to me. Sure. Volatility was a leading indicator in late August and early September for the four-week decline. We got the 10.5% correction. Here we are now. We've got stability as we walk into October. I think the market probably trades in a range of around 3,300 to 34 and a quarter as we approach earnings. But there's $90 trillion of global liquidity that is supporting markets. And we come in today, and obviously as a result of last night's fiasco, there are many extrapolating that the market should have been lower. But what did we get? We got an extension of this mosaic of coordination that has catalyzed this V-shaped recovery, Scott. It's been the infinite liquidity, as I just said, from the Federal Reserve, and it's been the fiscal support, the equivalency of 17% of GDP. And maybe, and maybe and that's Joe, ultimately what and, and maybe, Joe, to, to your point, at the, you know, the 11th, 12th, or 18th hour at this point, um, you're going to maybe get more stimulus, right? I mean, the Treasury Secretary was maybe more positive than people expected with Becky at Delivering Alpha to kick off our 10th conference um, this year. And now I'm reading on Twitter that, you know, that the Secretary, the Treasury Secretary is going to have a face-to-face with um, House Speaker Pelosi. So maybe they're able to get something across the finish line, which I I think, you know, the hopes of that seemed pretty dim. Yeah, and I think that supersedes the concerns as it relates to the election. It supersedes the concern as it relates to U.S.-China trade tensions. And last point, real quick, Scott. As it relates to Vice President Biden and the potential negative effect that he would have on the equity market, I truly do not believe that that is what the evidence suggests. Keep in mind, yes, you would have a higher uh, tax consequence, both on a personal and a corporate basis, but there's an offset to that. There's the reintroduction of globalization. And what does that equate to? That means lower tariffs, and that means an environment where you have more potential fiscal spending. So I don't think it's the ominous scenario that's being communicated uh, well, to the markets n- that is going to be perilous. N- now you're playing right into the, the Lloyd Blankfein, Lloyd Blankfein excuse me, 
uh, tweet right before we came on the air. Of course, the former CEO of Goldman Sachs, Jenny, who says, and Carl read this in the, in the previous hour, but I'll read it to you in case you missed it or, or need to hear it again. He says, so far, the stock market doesn't seem too upset at the prospect of Biden winning. Despite Trump's more market-friendly policies, perhaps folks think their stocks and 401ks will do better with higher taxes and increased regulation than with nastiness and scorched earth. Now, that's one person's view, and that's Lloyd Blankfein, the former CEO, of course, of Goldman Sachs. But it does sort of mirror, Jenny, what Joe was just saying. Right. So... So when I read that from Blankfein, I actually thought it was a very middle of the road, you know, not biased statement in either direction. I think it's a statement of fact. And I've all along I've thought it doesn't really matter too much which candidate wins because there's pushes and pulls, there's pros and cons to each. I think the economic policies between the two are not that widely diverged. And more importantly, I think the path that our economy is on is strong enough that it will transcend whoever whoever takes control of the White House. I also think going back to you asking Joe if he was slightly more positive, you know, I am always slightly more positive. I am always optimistic on this. And and this is what I was tearing out, but you know, I've got a chart of the S&P 500 over the very very long run in front of me. If you look at that, here it is. Um, if you look at that, you should be optimistic. You should stay invested. You should look at things in a positive light for the long run. The market will digest whoever is president. And over the last weeks, I've been gobbling up as much as I can from every political strategist that I can get my hands on or, or ears to, rather. Last week, I listened to a terrific guy who said he'd pulled, um, he'd pulled his clients, who were large sovereignties, large pension funds, large hedge funds. And he pulled them to see what was already digested in the market. He said 77% of his clients were expecting a Biden win. And so I think all we're doing right now is getting to a greater place of clarity. And the, the age-old truism remains true today, which is all the market wants is clarity. Sure. And that's what we're getting closer and closer How, to. However, uh, and I'm not suggesting you are mm -hmm. or, or we are, but... Um, it's important not to be Weiss naive to what a Biden presidency would mean relative to a Trump presidency, right? He said last night, uh, uh, corporate taxes going up 28 percent, uh, capital gains uh, going up. So it's not a, an equal, perhaps, playing field uh, in terms of whether it's stimulative for stocks in the way it would be under a Trump administration. Now, you could factor in all the stuff that blank finds talking about too, the scorched earth, et cetera, and decide what you think is better for stocks. But let's not act like the playing grounds are necessary. The playing fields are necessarily equal in terms of tax policy and the impact that that would have on corporate profits and thus earnings and thus stock prices. Can, can you know, I, respond I, I don't on that? disagree. I think they have Hang on, Jenny. I'll let you, I'll let you respond in just a second, Sorry. Jenny. Okay. So I, I, they're not clear, um, clearly equal. But if you take a look, we've had capital gains taxes raised before under Reagan, basically the same thing. Now they're going up a little higher, so they'll go to ordinary income rates. If he does it, there are certain things that could said during campaign that don't necessarily come to fruition. And I believe that they're being said to cater at this point to the party base. I don't know if Biden do it, but even if he does do it, the other side, while it's not tax policy, Trump side, has had this scorched earth policy against all our trading partners. So part of my job is to do fundamental analysis. In doing so, I talk to CEOs, I talk to CFOs. 
They're afraid to say it publicly, but they tell you privately, and it's reflected in the CapEx numbers over the last four years, they've been afraid to invest in their business because they don't know who their export and import partners will be. And tariffs killed so many small businesses. So if you get the trifecta, contrary to popular opinion, which is unfounded, and I, by that I mean a Democrat House, a Democrat Senate, Democrat presidency, you'll see a massive infrastructure stimulus play which Biden essentially said last night, mm -hmm. that'll drive the economy mm -hmm. to greater heights than we've seen under Trump. Normally, presidents have very little to do with the economy. As I said before, they're like baseball managers. It's really the Fed and liquidity. But if you add stimulus to it, that handoff from monetary to fiscal, then watch out. It's going to explode. And generally, optimism of small business owners of population like Jenny has, like I tend to have for America, will grow. And when you feel better, you spend more money rather than divisiveness. All right, Jenny? Right. So I think Steve's spot on in his analysis of that. And, and I think to boil it down, we need to remember that just because tax rates go up, it doesn't mean that money comes out of the economy. It just shifts it around. So it might take it out of one person's pocket, but if it then goes to the government, flows through to an infrastructure project, project employs someone else, it's not depleting the economy. It's just shifting things around. I also think we need to be careful with thinking that an increased capital gains tax rate is a foregone conclusion. Um, from, from what I've been hearing, that's pretty up in the air still. I had a week ago thought it was if Biden wins 100% capital gains and um, taxes are going up. I don't think that's actually true, nor do we know what break of the population they would go up for or what the caveats around that are. I mean, so he I said, though, he, he, he said though last night, I mean, well. he, he said he said he would take the corporate rate to 28 percent. So we, we do know now. I mean, there are other things that come into play, no, no, obviously, about, yeah. who controls different parts of Congress, et cetera. Um, but right. But I was talking about capital gains on the individual. Mm -hmm. No, I get it. But taxes no. are likely to go up. That's our bottom line. For sure. We just, for sure. We just don't know how punishing it will be broadly. And we need to remember that, it, that taxes going up doesn't actually deplete the overall economy. Right. And there are a lot it of other things, things as, as you guys said, right, uh, maybe different trade policy that offset some of the perceived negatives um, to, to a stock standpoint. The, the real question, you know, look, it's the last day of the quarter, right? We're getting into the, the fourth quarter uh, tomorrow. And Part of our goal is to try and help all of you figure out where you want to be with your money. Our Rahel Solomon takes a look at what happened in September, the sectors that did best, the ones that did worst, and what that says about where you want to be, and then we'll debate that with our committee. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Yeah, so to say it's been a choppy month for stocks would be an understatement. Now, while growth still dominates year-to-date compared to value, up 24%. Compared to values down 13 percent, uh, value did try to try to change the game a little bit, tried to outperform growth by around one and a half percent for the month of September, though both are set to record monthly declines. So as you can see in the next chart, that's sort of reflected in the performance of certain sectors throughout September. Communication services and tech sectors with those normally really hot growth stocks, they're among the worst performers behind only energy now, finishing the month in positive territory would be just materials, utilities, and industrials. Scott, we'll have to see whether this is a more temporary rotation into defensive stocks or the start of a longer trend. And on that note, for the third quarter overall, industrials and materials still leaders, along with consumer discretionary, which has actually been the best performer over the past three months. And on the other hand, energy is, again, the worst performer. It is down 20% this quarter, financials and real estate the other big laggards, though, they're still eking out slight gains for the quarter, Scott. All right. Rahel, thank you so much for that. So, Joe, 
Tech down 6% for the month. We'll stay month before we go quarter. Materials up, utilities mm -hmm. up, industrials up. That going to stay the same? The same as it is this month? No. Yeah. No. Leaders are going to lead and leaders are going to lead and laggards are going to lag. And for anyone that thinks uh, that value is going to make a dramatic comeback and close uh, the significant performance gap that exists, uh, I, I just don't believe that. I think you want to stay focused on growth. You want to stay focused on technology. You want to stay focused on the strength of the consumer. You want consumer discretionary. And you want to avoid the areas that are sector-specific negatively impacted by the potential outcome of this election. And back to the previous conversation, I think that's where the impact from Vice President Biden winning the election will be felt. And I think markets are already pricing it in. Look at energy. Month to date, down 15%. It's down 50% for the year. Obviously challenged is the financial sector as well under uh, Vice President Biden winning the election potentially. So I think it's very sector specific that you want to look at. But I want to focus on what have been the leaders, and I want to stay committed to those for the duration of the year. Now, this is probably a good time then to bring in our special guest today. Chris Toomey helps manage more than $7 billion in assets at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. He also happens to be one of the founders of Barron's Top Wealth Teams for 2020. Chris, welcome. It's nice to uh, welcome you to our program. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope you heard our conversation leading into the introduction to you. Um, where do you think about where we are and what are you advising your clients to do in the months ahead? Yeah, I think um, we're very much in line with Mike Wilson, who I know you guys have had on uh, quite recently. You know, we saw a dramatic pullback on GDP today. The number looks like down 30 percent, uh, all driven by um, the COVID crisis and shutting down of the economy. Um, we, we went to the playbook from the global financial crisis and injected a tremendous amount of liquidity into the market, which basically pushed everything back up. And now we're at a situation where we really are in a consolidation phase. I think the two main drivers for markets right now are our response around COVID and specifically the stimulus plan that we were talking about earlier. If you um, read into most Wall Street houses, I think the plan was that uh, we'd see some sort of stimulus before the election, somewhere between what the Republicans are looking for and what the Democrats are looking for. So somewhere between one and that $2 billion or trillion dollar uh, number we were expecting. We think if we do get some sort of resolution, I think that will provide some continued uh, tailwind for those early cyclicals um, that Mike's been talking about, financials, healthcare, industrials and even energy, which has been struggling right now. I think if we don't see that stimulus, I think we continue to see a range-bound market. In addition, I think we're paying very close attention to what's going on with regards to the response around COVID. Uh, we saw what's going on in Madrid. We see what's going on in London. Uh, there are hot spots in New York. Uh, I think we're moving from about a 17,000 uh, uh, person per day um, to almost 40,000 per day. Um, um, being treated for COVID. So uh, the numbers are ticking up. Mm -hmm. I think there's some real concern. I think the good news is we're making tremendous progress with regards to a vaccine and therapeutics, which we think will continue um, along uh, the pace that it has. So we think we'll see some real um, pertinent news in the next four to eight weeks with regards to where we are on a vaccine and some therapeutics. 
So, in addition, so let, let me just interrupt you. Let me, let me interrupt you for a second sure. and, for, and forgive me, um, Chris. I just want to interject something in here. Um, so the Mike Wilson view is that you're you're in a new secular um, bull market, right? You've started a new a new bull market. Um, he has said that you're going to potentially retest the the 200 day on the S&P and the Nasdaq 100, which suggests you could have, at least in terms of tech, which was the leader, uh, a sizable pullback yet to come. Do you agree with that as well as you put forth this view that cyclical stocks, at least select ones, could outperform moving forward? Yeah, I think that we could see a pullback within some of the leaders within the tech area that have really done well. We saw a very strong August, and then we saw a recent pullback in September. I think some of that has to do with just profit taking. I think some of that has to do with the speculative nature with regards to um, uh, people investing in a lot of the well-known and well-traveled names. I also think um, you know this rise and proliferation within the IPO market, I think is also maybe taking some wind out of their sails as people look to redeploy out of some of the well-known tech names into some of these newer techniques. So we're, we're coming out of a train wreck of a debate last night. So everybody's focusing on politics. I read the Lloyd Blankfein tweet from earlier. How are you sizing what's in the market at this point and what may not be? Yeah, I mean, I think with regards to the political situation, I think uh, there's a misconception with regards to the fact that um, if we do see a blue wave, that that's going to be negative for the market. I think the real driver for the market has been stimulus and with regards to our response to COVID. I think if we do see a blue wave or we see a red wave, what we'll see is real stimulus back into the economy, which should push everything higher. I think with regards to our call on tech, um, we still like it. I think what we're trying to do, though, is move more down into smaller technology companies, moving into this small and mid-cap uh, we recently put out uh, a piece on what we call the next FANG, which has done quite well. You know, these are companies with an average market cap of about $115 billion, um, growing at over 10% and at a peg ratio of two with strong mark barriers to entry and market share. Uh, we think that maybe taking some money from some of these well-known uh, high performers that we've seen over uh, this last period and rotating into smaller, mid-sized companies makes a lot of sense. The other interesting view you have is that you're overweight emerging markets and, and China. The data out of China has been good, um, you know, suggesting that their recovery is much, much further along than, than ours is um, here. Can you talk about the reasons why you are overweight uh, outside the U.S. In, in some places? Yeah, we think emerging markets is, is probably a year ahead of the U.S. with regards to dealing with COVID and controlling it. Uh, China's proven that um, they can um, shut down their economy, uh, improve the tracing, and get the, uh, the virus under control um, in a way that we haven't been um, here in the U.S. And what we've seen is, is higher growth rates uh, because of that. They've come back uh, to growing at, at levels pre-COVID, um, and valuations look very attractive as well. Um, interestingly enough, too, if you look at uh, the Chinese index, which is actually outperforming the U.S., um, Ten years ago, about 17% of its constituents were what we would call new economy names. Um, right now, about 66% of that index is uh, new economy names. Um, so we see better growth, we see better opportunities, and we see better valuations. I think in addition to that, uh, we're seeing the correlations between China and the S&P breaking down. 
Um, and we're seeing particularly interesting opportunities in the A-share market. Um, so while we're not necessarily just avoiding indexes, we do see real opportunities for alpha um, in the A-share market and within global um, leaders that are playing uh, the continued growth within China. You know, since you're, you, you mentioned the word alpha, um, this is our 10th anniversary of delivering alpha, as you, as you probably know. Um, we had some interesting sound today from Mary Erdos of J.P. Morgan. I'd like to play you what she said about bonds uh, and yields and get your opinion of it for our viewers as well. Let's listen to Mary. We'll talk about it on the other side. While it's very hard to stomach the yields that, that are available today, we may be looking back uh, in a year from now and salivating over today's yields, wishing we had put them in the portfolio. So just keeping all of that in balance is really important um, and looking through the long term. And then, you know, the other thing that's just hard to do uh, is given all the uncertainty in the world with obviously COVID-19, but the elections, uh, hard Brexit, et cetera. People just have to be able to say, do, is my portfolio right size for another set about a volatility? All right, that's Mary Erdos. Um, Chris, that plays right into, into somebody like you. How, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very tough for investors right now, where about 85% of the global bond market is yielding less than 2%, and a large portion of it has a negative yield. And so what we've been doing strategically for clients is taking down that fixed income exposure, primarily because it's not giving you the benefits that it used to. You're not necessarily getting the cash flow that you had gotten, and you're not necessarily getting the uh, correlation benefit with regards to equities going down and fixed income going up. And so where we're looking to add exposure right now is primarily on the hedge fund side. We've seen hedge funds do extremely well during this period of uh, volatility. Uh, both on the long short side, the event driven side, as well as the macro side. We've also started increasing exposure within real estate, which has also done quite well in certain segments of, uh, uh, of the economy, even during this uh, very difficult period uh, in the real estate market. Right now, uh, we're basically building um, uh, at an annualized rate uh, housing less than the 1950s. And we're seeing some real uh, secular trends with regards to home buyers moving into that market where you've got a real supply and demand imbalance. Mm -hmm. um, so in our view, um, we think there's some real stability there, particularly within multifamily, industrial, um, as well as uh, healthcare and triple net lease. And so what we're doing is, is we're, we're slowly rotating out of fixed income, just given the lack of opportunities and the lack of benefits into those two sure. areas. Yeah, you and a lot of others. I, I, I get it. Chris, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk Thanks. to you again soon. That's Chris Toomey, Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management, joining us today. Let me, get, me. let me get one comment from the desk, uh, if I could. Uh, Joe, what do you make of this? Small, mid-cap, good place to be? Some cyclicals, good place to be? A small kit, uh, mid-cap is a great place to be. Obviously, I own DocuSign. I've talked about it. That's a great example. Seattle Genetics, that's a biotech. That's another name. Uh, a name that's familiar to Stephen Weiss would be Teradyne, MSCI, Financial Services, a great name. Scott's miracle Grow. I think Jenny or Carrie might have uh, talked about that frequently. SMG, that's a SMID. And how about Pool Corp, ticker symbol Pool. They distribute pools domestically and around the world. Another great example. So I like that equity size class. All right, good. Let's bounce for a quick break. We'll come back. Still waiting for Palantir to begin trading at the New York Stock Exchange. It's direct listing. Up next, we do our quarterly report. 
the biggest Q3 winners and losers in our exports portfolios. We'll talk about that. Their game plans going forward are important to know as well. So we will discuss that, too. And I mentioned delivering alpha. It's underway. Jim Cramer is about to sit down with Senator Elizabeth Warren on the state of the economy. I'll be speaking with Social Capital's Chamath Palihapitiya in the one o'clock hour. Looking very much forward to that. And for all of the headlines, you can also go to DeliveringAlpha.com. We are back on The Half in two minutes. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's what's happening at this hour. A judge has approved Kentucky Attorney General Daniels Cameron's request for a delay in the release of grand jury testimony. This to redact personal and identifiable information of witnesses and jurors from the grand jury audio recordings of the Breonna Taylor case. Those recordings span more than 20 hours and were originally set to be released today. The NFL is delaying Sunday's game between the Steelers and the Titans to conduct more testing and ensure safety. This comes after eight Titans players and staff members tested positive for the coronavirus earlier this week. The former Vatican finance minister, Cardinal George Pell, has returned to Rome for the first time since being acquitted of child sexual abuse charges in Australia. The Vatican says Pell will not meet with the Pope despite his recent acquittal. And a mural of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was painted on a street in Portland, Oregon. RBG, as she was known, was laid to rest yesterday morning in a private ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update. Back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera, for that. All right, with just a few hours of trading left in the third quarter, we're taking a look at our investment committee's quarterly winners and losers. It's our halftime quarterly report. We pulled names that our traders have owned throughout the quarter from beginning to end, broke out their best and worst performers to get an update on where they stand now. Joe, I'm going to begin with you, okay? Leaders, Nike, uh, Apple, DocuSign, 28, 27, 25 percent, respectively, in terms of their performance. Laggards, Lilly, Morgan Stanley's flat. Microsoft is up three and a half percent, so it's hard to call it a laggard, but you get where I'm going. Um, the, the winners that you have here, stay with them. Absolutely. Stay with the winners. And if we could, Scott, let's highlight the one that's most challenging, and that would be Eli Lilly, because you're at a very critical moment for this stock. You've broken down below the 200-day moving average. We know all the fundamental strengths of this biopharma uh, company as it relates to Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes and the antibody therapeutics for COVID-19. But where you're sitting right now, the stock is just not performing. So what I'll be doing over the next three days is if we do not get a recovery back above 150, I am going to have to liquidate this stock. I bought it at the end of May very quickly from 144. It went up to 170 by early July, but it has fallen back significantly. It's disappointing. You don't turn a winning trade into a losing trade. Okay, the liquidator says he may get out of that. Um, all right, Jenny, you either hit home runs or you struck out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> There's no That's other way to put truth. it. I don't know how else to put it. Hannon Armstrong, 
Taiwan Semi, Kingfisher, all up at least 40%. Then there's Target Resources, Royal Dutch Shell, and Energy Transfer, which are at least down by 20%. So what now? Pick a stock there and tell me what you're doing with it, if anything. Okay, so I think the interesting ones are actually, you might have noticed a theme in the weak ones, right? They were all my energy holdings. But, you, but I think the interesting thing is actually the Hannon Armstrong and the Taiwan Semi. So what we've done with those is last month we actually trimmed Taiwan Semi, phenomenal company, great growth prospects, but a little expensive. And we only trimmed it back from being overweight where it grew to, back down to a model weight. With, with Hannon Armstrong, what we're doing is when we need cash to add new positions, we're trimming that one back down to a normal position size or to the, to the goal position size. So what I look at more here is that, is that the, I think my message is prudent portfolio management. Don't let things get overweight. Stay controlled. Keep your winners, but you don't need to let them grow to a disproportionate size. To me, that's the right way to manage you a gonna portfolio. Are you going to liquidate these, these energy holdings or are you going to stay with them? No, I'm absolutely staying with those. Actually, hold on. On Targa, that will eventually become a source of funds, but it's not there yet. And the reason it's down so much this quarter was because it almost doubled in the second quarter. So that one's a little bit of an outlier. The other two, I think there's actually tremendous value in the, and I know we all hate the word value, but there's tremendous value in the energy play. We <laughs> think that um, some wellheads are coming offline. Oil prices have stabilized. There's natural gas has been stable. I think that there's upside from here. Source, um, of, source of funds, you know, I've though. I've been in the so, business of making bets. But, but <laughs> yeah, source no, of funds... You said it's going to be sorts of funds. That's code word for I'm waiting, it, I'm waiting for it to pop a little bit then I'm, before I sell it. Um, yeah, and I think there's more like pop a lot on Targa, and then it will be a source of funds. Okay. It's not going to be at this point a long-term holding because they cut their dividend. Not all the way, but the dividend's not rich enough to continue to hold for the I, long run. I, I got you. Okay, thank you for that. Steve Weiss, I move on to you. Leaders, UPS, Target, Qualcomm, 51%, 32 and 30. Those are all, all ex exceptionally uh, good stocks to have. Um, Cloudera was a big loser for you in the quarter, down 13%. Teradyne, uh, Infocorp, not so much. What do you do with Cloudera? So Cloudera, I had, I had shaved it during the quarter. It's, it's a minimal position because it's always been a speculative position. Even though they've turned the business around more to a subscription model, I'm actually looking for an exit point on that. I don't want to wake up one day and see the Carl Icahn sold it all because then I'll lose my exit point. There's one more that we should mention, which is BABA, which today would be right firmly in there, maybe halfway between Qualcomm and, and you know, my top winners there because it's had a great move today. So I'm not selling any of those. I also have Taiwan Semi. I haven't sold any. And in fact, I'm tempted to add to it at this level. Okay. Uh, John Ajarian, finally, oh, by the way, um, you know, we continue to wait for a Palantir to open, but there's Asana at the bottom of your screen. You see that uh, shares opening at $27 a share. Uh, that's after a direct listing. Palantir is also a direct listing where you had uh, $7.25, the reference price, and we continue to wait for that highly anticipated offering as well, and we'll let you know when that does begin. But Asana right now is up 32%. That's a six bucks, 27 uh, 84 or so is where you see. Okay, Doc, I come to you, as I said, uh, Apple, uh, Abbott, Amazon, all good winners. JP Morgan up two and a half percent. That's one of the laggards. Microsoft's a laggard too, um, by three and a half percent. I don't think you're doing anything with Microsoft, right? So if you are, you tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, but what about JP Morgan? Nope. What about the financials, Doc, going into this last quarter? Um, I don't see a reason for them to be outperforming, Scott. Um, I believe I have J.P. Morgan, 
uh, Capital One and KeyBank as far as the real financial stocks in my portfolio, and then Square and PayPal on the periphery there. Um, I like the space. I don't think it has a lot of downside. I certainly see like a two or three to one upside versus downside for those financials, but I don't think those are the outperformers. I think the ones you talked about at the top, um, including Microsoft, which is now my biggest position, uh, just because of its recent outperformance, it jumped, it leapfrogged over Apple, um, but they're almost neck and neck right now as far as in my portfolio. So I like the performance. I like the deal with Datadog today for Microsoft, uh, for Azure, uh, for the Azure clients to be able to use that mm -hmm. um, Datadog product with Microsoft. And we also had some good unusual activity in that one, right. Datadog. So Spe speaking I of like it overall, Judge. Yep. No, uh, forgive me, Doc. I was just say, speaking of unusual activity, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, so get those ready, because Doc does have his unusual activity coming up next. Before I go to break, I'll show you the S&P sector heat map right now. Pretty good day for stocks, uh, to say the least. The uh, S&P right now is up 46 and a half, uh, led by healthcare and the financials, which we were just discussing. And we are still waiting, as I mentioned, for Palantir's first trade. The CEO, Alex Karp, will be coming on CNBC, by the way, for a first on CNBC interview with our Andrew Ross Sorkin. So we're looking forward to that as well. We mentioned Asana beginning its trade, a big pop at the open. We're back on the half after this quick break. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Options traders looking for more upside in Netflix. There it is. Year-to-date up 55%. All right, Doc, tell us about this unusual activity, though I hesitate whenever there's like activity in an Apple or a Microsoft or even a Netflix. It's, it's the saying unusual. Uh, it seems odd. But nonetheless, you tell us right at 500 bucks, Doc. Yeah, right at 500, Judge. And they were buying the 500 calls, the 505 calls and the 510 calls. All of those were expiring this coming Friday, Judge. So I jumped. Uh, I was already in Netflix. I jumped in on these calls. I'll probably ride them at least another day through tomorrow's halftime. The second trade, Judge, a little bit more time, uh, and that is Bed Bath & Beyond, BBBY, December 15, right at the money. Somebody betting uh, pretty big that uh, they will have a good quarter, and, of course, this would 
uh, take into account the uh, holiday shopping season. I like this one. I'll probably be in that about two months, Judge. All right, good stuff, Doc. Thanks for that. Coming up, we have some bullish calls out on Goldman Sachs and Starbucks. We'll debate both of those straight ahead after this break. We're back. I mentioned these calls on the street today. One of them, a bullish call on Starbucks. Upgraded to outperform at Cowan. Goldman was added to Bank of America's U.S. One list. I want to start with Starbucks. Joe, I'm going to start with you, okay? You own, you own the stock. Mm-hmm. Now, upgraded to outperform, as we said. They talk about numbers and EPS growth in 22 and 23 and the business improving. You know, I don't know if you listened to Kramer uh, earlier today on, on Squawk on the Street. He's kind of skeptical of this call. The premise being that this was the firm's numbers, okay? Like their own coming up with the number because Starbucks, Kevin Johnson, KJ, the CEO, it's not like he's been putting out numbers of of what the business has been doing. So how do you judge that as an investor with a stock that has underperformed? I mean, year to date, uh, for obvious reasons, year to date, it's down one and a half percent. In three months, uh, mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's up in, in over three months, but, you know, the business hasn't been doing great. No, uh, obviously, the business is not going to be uh, doing well when you, you know, create a, a still society. Um, so there has been a little bit of recovery. I share the skepticism that Jim has. I think the stock, I own it. I think the stock is fairly valued, probably should sit somewhere around 85 or 90. But they would certainly have to uh, improve margins. And improving margins is going to require really an all clear on the virus itself. Yes, they have the benefit of having the strength of digital, but understand drive-throughs only are 29% of the overall business. Uh, So I I agree with the skepticism. I wouldn't chase the stock right here. I think it's rightly priced uh, where it sits at around 86. John, if you're playing this through uh, the derivatives market, what, what do you do? You sell the calls at the 90 strike like crazy, Judge. Uh, because I, I don't, I mean, Pete has called this range much better than I have. Buy it at 80, sell it at 90. I'm more than willing to let them rip it yeah. away from me at 90, Judge, because, you know, this thing's been just stuck in a range. I'm happy to collect the premium for it. Okay. Uh, the Goldman call, Joe, I, I come back to you because you're the only one today who owns, actually owns Goldman Sachs. U.S. one list, Bank of America, reiterate buy, price target goes to 240, multiple drivers, they say, to improve return on equity over the next few years, 20 plus percent uh, possible upside. Uh, Do you see that? I I, I did. And I also see that analysts are raising estimates for the upcoming quarter, which I believe is either October 14th or 15th. Um, So both for FIC, you're seeing about 2 percent higher on the estimates. Uh, for investment banking underwriting, they're raising estimates by about 10%. So I think the uh, expectations based on the prior quarter uh, were, were low. And I think we're realizing what we talked about at the time, that there would be strength in trading revenue, strength in investment banking. And I think there will be uh, ultimately an upside surprise for the stock. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for that. We have more trades straight ahead. Don't forget tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern right here on CNBC. Do not miss the premiere of the news with Shepard Smith. He is back. Dr. Anthony Fauci will be joining Shep this evening. Do not want to miss that. We're back after this. It's time now for the futures outlook. Gold is on pace for its worst month in two years. 
Is a turnaround ahead? Jim Urio breaks that down for us. Uh, yesterday was silver for us, today gold. Tell us what's ahead. Well, you know I'm obsessing about this 94 level in the dollar. I've been talking about it for three weeks. Today it's given way today, and it looks like it might stay below it. I like gold. Trade If it trades 1903 again, it was a couple dollars below it when I last saw it. If it trades 1903 again, I think that's a spot to buy it with a target of 1928 on the upside and a stop placed back below 1886. Again, this is mostly about the weak dollar. The dollar's probably weak because there's been some rumors and some talk of a relatively aggressive stimulus package. Um, Long-end rates are going higher, which normally gold doesn't like, unless it's a signal that perhaps somebody is worried about inflation somewhere, and then gold may like that too. Gold also likes to rally with risk assets, and the the stocks seem relatively buoyant as well. All right. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Short and sweet. Uh, but that's what we have to do today, Jim Urio. I appreciate it because we're still waiting uh, for Palantir. It's direct listing. New York Stock Exchange could open any moment. We'll discuss with early investor John Najarian on the other side of this break along with Final Trades. Welcome back. We're still waiting for Palantir uh, to open. Uh, the range getting a lot tighter, as you can see, so that could happen momentarily. I mentioned John Jerry, and you're an early investor in this company. Tell us how you view it now. Um, different voting structure, uh, controversial in, in, in some corners. Um, how do you see it? Yeah, pretty much just like Google or Facebook, Judge, you don't really have a say in the running of the company. In fact, if the founders reduce their stakes dramatically, yeah. you still won't have. Th- that's my uh, point. Based on how they've, yeah, that's based on point. how they've structured it. And yet, um, both Google and Facebook have been terrific uh, investments. I don't really think that I could, or any of the partners of mine could direct them how to better run that business. So this is one of those where you just have to sort of go along with the genius of Peter Thiel and hope that they continue to do uh, very strong uh, uh, investigative work. You're going to hold they it. Do for governments what, what are you as doing well with it? What are you doing with it, Doc? That's well, what I want to know. If it, it if it came out at 20 billion valuation, Judge, our group was looking at maybe liquidating half to 75 percent. But since it's coming out where it is, we're not going to be selling a share probably. Uh, we'll probably hold this one for a while. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that. And uh, again, we're waiting for the actual you, uh, first trade, uh, Palantir's direct listing. All right, Jenny, final trade from you. Compass Diversified Trust, one of my super long-term holdings. They made an acquisition last week of BOA Technologies. We think it'll add about 9% to earnings. Meanwhile, it trades at, at 12 and a half times with a 7-plus percent dividend yield. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for that. Steve Weiss? Visa, it's sort of been left in the, in the lurch here. Hasn't done much, but with the consumer survey coming out, very positive, spending picking up, at least in the middle class and upper class, I think it'll do quite well going forward, All right. particularly with contactless okay. being the way to go. All right. I need to get everybody in, Weiss. You know how this works. Joe, quick. <laughs> uh, Lululemon, retail growth, 390 price target for Bank of America, I agree. Doc, give me a name, please. Overstock. Bought it during the show, Scott. All right. Thanks, everybody. The exchange is now. (laughs) You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
we could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.